Let's open our Bibles this morning to Revelation chapter 18. We'll be concluding the book of Revelation over the next several weeks, and then we will be going back to the book of Acts and continue to make our way through the book of Acts and then all the rest of the New Testament. And um, as we look at chapter 18 this morning, I've entitled this The Death of Babylon, Part 2. Now, we did the first eight verses of Revelation 18 uh, last Sunday when we entitled it The Death of Babylon, Part 1. So this is now, what we're going to do is I'm going to give you some background on the first Babylon under Nimrod, and then we'll look at a Babylon that is in existence today, but I believe has only been in existence uh, as a major um, city for the last generation, maybe 70 years or so. So as we look at chapter 18, and um, basically what it is is giving us fuller information from the tribulation. And if you wanna know what I mean by that, if you just go back to chapter 14 of Revelation, and we have now three angels that fly. The first angel is preaching in verse six, the everlasting gospel. It tells us to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. So now angels are preaching the gospel. Then there's another angel in verse eight that followed the first angel saying Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. So basically what I'm saying as we look at chapter 18, we're going back into the tribulation and Babylon is the um, most opulent and commercial city that will exist, but here we're told that it has fallen. Now what chapter 18 is going to do is give us detail. So 18, we're not doing this in a chronological order, 18, uh, it, it has already fallen in 14. But we're gonna find four or five things that are required in order for us to know about the Babylon of Revelation 18. And I'm gonna get into quite a bit of detail on what those four or five things are. But first what I'd like to do is take a look at the first Babylon. And to do that, you need to turn back to the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 10. I'll take one verse out of there, maybe a couple, uh, and 11. So I'll give you a chance to get back to um, Genesis 10, and I'm interested in verses eight through nine. And what we're looking at here, beginning with six, is the family of Ham. So, of course, the genealogy of the sons of Noah was Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And who I'm interested in is the family of Ham. And if you go to verse eight, uh, part of his lineage, it tells us, that Cush begot Nimrod. And he began to be a mighty one 
on the earth. Uh, He was a mighty hunter. Uh, The word there, when you do a little bit of word research on it, it's not that he was a mighty hunter so much of animals as he was for the souls of men. And uh, just keep that in your mind. Uh, Before the Lord, therefore it is said like Nimrod, the mighty hunter before the Lord. Now verse 10. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. Um, and uh, Arach and Aachad and Kali and the land of, and this is important, in the land of Shinar. Now please keep that, in, that Nimrod, uh, his, his capital was a place called Babel. Now if you look at chapter 11, and we're going to read the first nine verses here. So this would be the first uh, major city after um, Noah, which would be after the flood. Now, verse one, now the whole earth had one language and one speech. It came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found the plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Well, this is where Nimrod was, and he was the main man over uh, Babel in the land of Shinar. And they said to one another, let us make bricks and bake them and thoroughly. And they had mortar for stones. They had asphalt for, for mortar. And they said, come and let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves unless we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they have one language and this is what they begin to do now. Nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us, interesting in the plural, go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from over the face of the whole earth and they ceased building a city. But remember, this was a building that they were building that they actually wanted to make it the tallest building in the world, thinking, reaching even into the heavens. And because of the confusion of the Lord not allowing them to communicate, um, they ceased building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel because they were babbling. They couldn't understand each other uh, because the Lord had confused the language of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. So, we get the name Babylon. It comes from the word Babel. And I say, okay, that means I can Babylon. <laughs> okay, I will. I thought that was cute when I thought, I said, Babylon, just Babylon. <laughs> the four or five requirements for, the, for uh, Babylon This is the first one. The one that we're reading about this morning in our text at Revelation 18, 
Um, there are requirements for this city and how to identify what the city is. Number one, it has to be a city and not America. There are some very good Bible teachers that believe that Babylon is the United States of America. That has to be disqualified here because it's not a nation, it's a city. Number two, it has to be a port city. And we'll get into that when we go through chapter, I'm making my way up to the verse by verse, but I wanna give this background first of all. Number three, it has to be a city up and running. And the reason I say that is because the way things are unfolding so quickly right now, um, it can't be the city that, um, um, I'll get into Saddam Hussein and him trying to rebuild the original Babylon. No, I believe the city has to be very opulent. Matter of fact, I believe it has to be the most opulent city in the whole world. And it has to be in existence right now um, because of the lateness of the hour. So because it's so late, I, th- I believe it already exists and I believe it will, will be and is the most opulent city in the world. All right? For those of you who have been around for a while, you know that I believe the city is Dubai and United Arab Emirate. And it is not the first attempt that Saddam Hussein, when he sought to rebuild Babylon. The original Babylon, the ruins are still there. Remember Saddam Hussein, the last time you saw him, he was coming out of a hole? (laughs) Well, he was in a process of rebuilding Babylon, but it it was nothing. And you go, Dubai is about 500 miles south of the original Babylon. And so it can't be that one. I want you to turn with me to the book of Zechariah. I'm gonna give you a little time to get there, and I want you to turn and read these verses with me. Uh, Again, Zechariah is the second to the last book in the Old Testament. After Zechariah, there's Malachi. And I want you to turn to a prophecy in Zechariah chapter five, So I'll give you a moment to get there. Chapter five, and I want to draw your attention to um, verse five, and we'll read verses five through 10. And this is during Zechariah's time. Verse five. Then the angel who talked with me came and said to me, lift your eyes now and see what this is that goes forth. So I asked, what is it? And he said, it's a basket that is going forth. He also said, this is their resemblance throughout the earth. Here is a lead disc lifted up, and there is a woman sitting inside the basket. And he said, this is wickedness. And he thrust her down into the basket and threw the lead cover over its mouth. And then I raised my eyes and looked, and there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had the wings of the wings of a stork. They lifted up the basket between the earth and heaven. So I said to the angel who talked with me, where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me to build 
future tense, a house for it in the land of Shinar. When it is ready, when what is ready? This city. When it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. Now, I don't know about your subtitles. You know, on, on the end, end of something, they'll put a word in or something. What they have in my Bible here is the word Babylon. So the, the interpreters of, of uh, the New King James and others um, believe that this basket is gonna be eventually put back down to what we would call Babylon. As we look at chapter um, 18, um, Dubai fits into the parameters and here's something that um, those of you who might be hearing this for the first time. Um, you can Google this very easily. Just type in Dubai and Babylon and watch what comes up. You'll be very, very surprised. Um, and so this wickedness is taken to a future Babylon, not yet built in Zechariah's time. In fact, has only been this opulent city in the world over the past generation. So this is something within the last 70 years which was just a a port fishing town and really what it was known for was black pearls. That was one of the main things that that Dubai was known for. Now, I I, I wanna give you the history and you know, how do you, how can I appear describe to you what is the most opulent city that could possibly be Babylon um, unless I could actually show it to you. I found a 10 minute video clip that says the most opulent city in the world. It takes 10 minutes, but it's gonna do a lot better job because you're gonna see it for yourself and uh, I'm gonna go and just sit down here and watch it with you and then I'm gonna come back up. So if you would run this short clip and then I will come up, it'll give you a better understanding of the city that I'm talking about. Dubai, the most luxurious place in the world. Just 50 years ago, Dubai was merely a small town in the middle of the desert. Today, Dubai serves as the luxurious face of the Middle East and the biggest attraction that part of the world has to offer. Undoubtedly, you've seen photos of the Burj Al Arab Hotel the crescent-shaped skyscraper built on a man-made island. You also probably know that Dubai is home to the world's tallest building, and you might have even seen Tom Cruise scaling it in an installment of the Mission Impossible franchise. That building is called the Burj Khalifa, and it stands 2,722 feet high. Yes, I'm sure you know a bit about the attractions of this amazing city, But today, I'd love to get the chance to tell you so much more. So, here's all the -the over-the-top, wildly expensive things you can find in Dubai. But first, a tiny history lesson. How did Dubai go from being just a small desert town to the extravagant oasis it is today? The same way all of the other United Arab Emirates cities became so rich. Oil. Abu Dhabi, just 90 miles from Dubai, is the richest city in the world, and it sits on 10% of the entire world's oil supply. This production of oil launched the United Arab Emirates into the first world. 
millions were poured into Dubai and it became one of the biggest cities in the Middle East. However, today, Dubai only makes 5% of its revenue from oil because its reserves aren't nearly as lucrative as some of its UAE neighbors. Dubai makes the majority of its revenue from trade, real estate, and tourism. Dubai has become the business center of the UAE since it can no longer rely on oil production alone. But this adjustment has not discouraged this incredibly rich city from growing. Dubai is growing in population just as much as it's growing vertically. In fact, about one-fourth of all cranes are located in Dubai. That's right, about 25% of cranes in existence are in just one UAE city. It seems the game plan of Dubai is just to keep building skyscrapers. Two of these skyscrapers are the aforementioned Burj Khalifa and the Burj Al Arab Hotel. The Burj Khalifa stands more than a half a mile tall. It's so tall, in fact, that at its upper floors, the building can sway several feet at the mercy of the wind. This, however, was not overlooked by the architects of this massive building. The Burj Khalifa was designed in such a way that the sway would be too slow for the vestibular system in the inner ear to even notice. That's the part of the ear that provides balance if you happen to be unburdened by interference. The Burj Al Arab is a beautiful five-star hotel, just hundreds of feet off the land. The Al Arab is the fifth largest hotel in the world, thanks to its unique shape. The hotel stands 56 stories high. It is officially labeled as a five-star hotel, but some have dubbed this stunning building with the highest remark of seven stars. This seven-star label is up for debate as the authority on the matter of luxury hotels has not been agreed upon. But seven-star or not, this hotel is truly magnificent. If you want to spend a night in the royal suite at the Al Arab, it'll cost you just over $24,000. The interior of the Burj Al Arab is adorned with around 1,790 square meters of 24-karat gold leaf. But even that can touch the glorious views of the immaculate city and the picture-perfect gulf. Along with extremely tall buildings, the city is keen on building man-made islands. Both the Palm Islands and the World Islands are two incredibly ambitious projects that came to fruition with the help of a whole lot of cash. The construction of the Palm Islands not only cost $12 billion to build, but it also required 94 million cubic meters of sand. To put that into perspective, 94 million cubic meters of sand could fill the entire Empire State Building two and a half times. The world islands, as in the man-made islands that mimic the shape of the world's landmasses, took 321 million cubic meters of sand. Theodore, if you could just edit in nine Empire State Buildings which also adds another $15 billion to the cost of man-made islands in Dubai. I'm not much of a big fan of sand in the first place, as it's rough, coarse, and it gets everywhere. Nevertheless, I did enjoy my time at the Palm Island. Like I've always said, nothing exfoliates quite like the warm water of the Persian Gulf. But that's enough talk about man-made islands, huh? Let's move on to the police force. now. Law enforcement isn't usually something that comes to mind when speaking in terms of luxury. But it sure is in Dubai. As a means of wooing the tourists, 
Dubai's police force uses supercars as their patrol vehicles. This includes cars such as the Ferrari FF that goes for around half a million dollars, the Lamborghini Aventador that goes for around $400,000, and my personal favorite, an Aston Martin 177 for the reasonable price of $1.79 million. Trust me when I say this, nothing makes a man feel more like James Bond than flooring an Aston Martin 177. Ooh, makes me want to take mine out for a spin right now. Anyway, using these spectacular cars is just Dubai being Dubai. But hey, Dubai is the eighth safest city in the world, so more power to them. This isn't all due to the supercars, of course. The UAE, in general, has rather strict laws due to the Islamic constitutional monarchies that operate the Emirates government. Some Sharia laws exist in Dubai as well, so if you're on vacation with your missus, checking out the bougie police force, make sure the two of you don't get caught smooching because it might just get you deported. However, due to the extremely high amount of tourism, some places in Dubai are much more lenient. The serving of alcohol, for instance, would not be permitted in a traditional Middle Eastern setting, but it is in Dubai in specific institutions such as hotels and clubs. It is actually estimated that around 15% of Dubai's population are Emiratis, while the other 85% are from out of town. About half of the population is composed of the workers building hundreds of skyscrapers, which does make a little bit of sense considering the whole crane situation. Most of these workers are from India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh, which brings us to the more unfortunate side of Dubai. The class divide is quite big. Many of the immigrant workers live and work in less than ideal conditions, while Emiratis and the upper-class foreigners earn extremely attractive salaries. There really isn't much of a middle ground between the class divide and Dubai. But just like any country divided, there's always a sport to bring the people together. Well, that's the idea anyway. And in this case, this sport is camel racing. It's a bit of a sore subject for me, considering back in 96 I lost about 500,000 in a camel race to some sheik in Sharjah. But that was a different time. Camel racing in Dubai is almost equivalent to American football in the US. And Dubai's twist on the sport is that instead of children jockeys, they've began to use robots. You see, camel racing has a bit of a dark past. It used to be the case that small children would be forced to ride the camels, and that led to human trafficking. In less progressed areas in the Middle East, it still happens. But in Dubai, the children have been replaced with robots. And believe it or not, some of these little bots can cost up to $10,000. The camel that lost me that 500 grand was steered by a monkey. Now let's just move on from camel racing. In the future, Dubai has some rather insane plans in the works. Dubai is planning to build a completely climate-controlled area of the city that spans 4.3 miles. It was announced when Dubai's ruler, Sheikh Mohammed bin Rashid Al Maktoum, unveiled plans for the Mall of the World, a 48 million square foot mall of the world. This miniature city will have a retractable dome and will not only serve as a massive pedestrian mall, but will contain hotels and apartments along with roads and parks. 
the massive structure will more than double the size of Monaco. The idea starts to make sense when you consider Dubai can reach temperatures of 115 degrees Fahrenheit regularly. But the idea begins to make less sense again when you consider the cost. The cost has not yet been determined officially, but estimates have been made in the tens of billions of dollars. And keep in mind, the price tag would be much higher if the workers were not dreadfully underpaid. The dome is planned to have 100 hotels and service departments, totaling 20,000 rooms. It seems an audacious architectural feat. We've never known Dubai to aspire for anything less. Due to the speed at which Dubai has been growing, it never developed a standard address system. In fact, until 2015, instead of an address line on a mailing label, there was a space where residents could draw a map or write out specific instructions. Thankfully, they have established 10-digit numbers that serve as addresses, and I'm sure it's a whole lot easier to be a delivery driver in Dubai nowadays. So, that's Dubai for you. Oh, and I completely forgot. To top it all off, the mega-rich residents that live in Dubai don't send an ounce of their paycheck to the government. In Dubai, there is no income tax. Yet another feature that makes Dubai one of the most attractive places to stay on the planet. I've had this conviction um, about Dubai uh, since the mid-90s. Uh, all through the early 90s into um, early 2000s, I would annually go to India and teach in um, um, Bible colleges over there. And that meant um, catching the late flight home from the airport, either in Bombay or Delhi. And I started noticing when I was getting ready to board, they had all these advertisements um, for workers to leave India and come and be a participant in building the tallest building in the world. And something went off in my head I thought the tallest building in the world and it brought me back to Genesis 10 and 11 that was their goal to build the tallest building in the world and the workers from Pakistan and India and the areas it was there I came back with a strong conviction that I, I believe that this could possibly be um, the Babylon of the Bible so I came back and I started calling all my friends that I respected and, and looked up to prophetically. Um, I called uh, well, Dave Hunt, um, Tommy Ice, and um, maybe five or six other guys. And I said, this, this might sound weird, but can I just bounce this off you? And I, they, they were real honest and said, Dwight, we would never really thought about it too much. Uh, let me get back with you. David Hawking thought it was very, very, very interesting. But I've had this conviction, I've been watching it over the years, and that took place, um, the building, the tallest building in the world, was finished in 2009. So it took quite a few years uh, for this to actually unfold. And then when we had the um, Pilgrim's Cafe, some of you have heard this story before, but I was having lunch at the cafe and I was sitting across from a couple and they were talking and the guy said that he was from Dubai. Well, my ears went boing. <laughs> 
And I just sort of nudged over. I said, could I just ask you a couple questions? Did you just say you were born in Dubai? And he goes, yeah, I grew up there. And I said, would you describe for me in your own words as somebody who grew up in Dubai what it's like? And he said, well, that's easy. And he says, you take Wall Street, you take Las Vegas, and you take Hollywood, and you put them all in one city, and you have Dubai. That was his description. Then he went on to tell me this. You can get anything you want in Dubai. Now, it is a Muslim Arab city that is supposed to have all these strict religious rules. But um, uh, the more I looked into it, like um, the no alcohol or showing public affection in public are basically ignored for the sake of, of tourism. And actually what it's known for more than anything else is prostitution. And um, um, the articles that I've read have said that uh, they're in grocery stores, gas stations, any hotel you go to, um, they're readily available. And it's a big part of uh, the rich and the famous going to this place um, that is forbidden by their uh, laws, but not in Dubai. You can have all these things and much more. Now, with that much of a background, uh, let's go to chapter 18. And we're actually going to go now verse by verse through this city called Babylon. And as we look at verse one, I'm only gonna read three words and stop and comment. After these things, and I stopped right there, and I'm gonna make this statement. There are good Bible teachers that believe chapter 17 and the destruction of Rome as a religious center of the world is gonna be destroyed by the Antichrist. How many of you were here, you don't have to raise your hand, but most of you were here when we did chapter 17, a one world religion, and this religion was headquartered in Rome, and it was destroyed by the Antichrist, and um, that city was the city of seven hills, and that's Rome. Now good Bible teachers that I respect say 17 and 18 are the same city. And I take exception to that because of the simple after these things, and I'd say after what things, the things after chapter 17. I do not believe that Rome and Babylon um, are one and the same city. I believe there are two separate judgments. One is against religion because the Antichrist will have nobody be worshiped except him. Rome's gotta go. And the other thing, part is here that Babylon is not religious, it's economic. And this has all happened within the last 70 years. They showed the, uh, the fishing village that it was. What did Zechariah say? I'm gonna send wickedness there when it's ready. And all of a sudden, and this, it blew my mind. I had listened to it two or three times. One quarter of all the cranes in the world are in Dubai. Would you just let that settle in for a second? One quarter of all the cranes in the world are in this one city. And they're going nonstop. The population, by the way, is about 3,300,000. That was a couple years ago. I'm sure it's grown after 
then. But uh, my personal conviction is Rome is chapter 17. That's one city that will, was destroyed. And Babylon is also going to be destroyed. But I believe one is economic and, um, and the other one is religious. So let's read verses one through four. I want to stop on verse four. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon, the great, is fallen, is fallen, and it has become a habitation of demons, uh, prisons from every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, the kings of the earth, and now we're talking the richest people in the world, this is where they want to go to, have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And so, um, verse four here, I had heard another voice come from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, so there's believers there, lest you share in her sins, unless you receive her plagues. She's going to be judged. So the Lord is telling them to come out. Um, I would like you to turn and to 2 Corinthians chapter six at this time, and let's start making some practical applications. 2 Corinthians chapter six, we'll just look at, verses 14 through 17. And it's talking about Christians and what our relationship should be with the world in which we live. That's the issue here. The Corinthian church was really messed up. (laughs) They had a lot of of problems. And um, if you pick it up in verse 14, it says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. I believe this is referring to marriage. And I believe it's saying here that a believer should not marry a non-believer. And for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? And what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Baal? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. I will be a father to you and you will be a son and a daughter, says the Lord Almighty. So we're not to have any participation with unbelievers. But Paul clarifies that a little bit later. He certainly said not all people, because otherwise, um, you know, most of you work, you go to, to jobs, and there's unbelievers that are there. Paul says, I'm certainly not saying that you can't remove yourself from there. That's where you, you um, feed your family. And so, but he's putting it in the context of who you hang with. Let's put it that way. Who are your friends? Where's your social time? Um, Is it with unbelievers or are you primarily wanting to have fellowship with other believers? 
I need an amen, I think. <laughs> so I'll tell you who does take this out of context. And I, uh, there are certain parts of the Amish people that I admire very, very much. Uh, they take this verse right here, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, literally. And so they live in their own communities. Uh, they have their own church services. Uh, they don't have electricity or phones. Um, they, did you ever hear the term uh, black bumper Amish? To an Amish person, this is a, a backslidden Amish person because they have cars but they paint their bumpers black <laughs> so they don't look worldly. <laughs> so they're considered backslidden Amish. And um, I, I used to, uh, when mom and dad were in Owen, Wisconsin, uh, the local Ace Hardware was owned by an Amish guy. I loved going in there. And uh, because they, there was this interaction uh, with the Amish people. So you can take this scripture out of context, come out from among them. But what the Lord is talking about in Revelation 18 in a city and the wickedness that's there that is talked about in Zechariah, he's saying, come out of her because I'm going to judge her. So as it pertains to you and I, one of the things that the scriptures warn us about is not being a part of the falling away. That's talked about in Thessalonians. And uh, be careful that you don't get sucked back into old ways, especially with the, with the um, things that are going on in our, in our world today because it's so crazy. And um, a lot of the, the prophecies about a one world government and a one world religion. I mean, Pope Francis is in bed with, with all these globalists right now. He's a big part of it. He holds to globalism. He doesn't hold to Roman Catholicism at all. And um, I have my own personal feelings about him, but that's another Bible study altogether. All right, so 14 through 17. Now go to me to, to 1 John. Not the Gospel of John, but 1 John. Uh, we'll look at chapter 2, a couple verses here, verses 15 through 18. If Babylon is the epitome of luxury and worldliness and wickedness on every level, John is warning in uh, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, this describes Babylon, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it's not of the Father, but it's of the world. And the world is passing away. And the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour and you have heard that Antichrist is coming and even now many Christs have come by which we know that is, that is the last hour. Man, if it was in the last hour in John's day and uh, how much closer are we now after si- seeing church history unfold and God giving grace to, this is called the, the time of grace, the church age, where he extended salvation and, but with that was the warning um, not to get involved uh, with worldly things. All right, let's go back to 
chapter 18, we left off in verse four. Let's look at verses five and eight. For her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. In the cup which she has mixed, mixed to her double. In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, I'm no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore, her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord who judges her. So five through eight tells us um, what's gonna happen to the city. The same thing that happened to Rome. It is going to be destroyed in one day. Nine and 10 is important because it tells us it's a city. And the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning. Now, This is interesting to me because it says, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, alas, alas, that great city, Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour, now we're down from a day to an hour, your judgment has come. Um, And what this points out to me is that, again, it cannot be America. We are talking about a city in verses nine and 10. So the idea of America being Babylon, again, America is a country, and what we have in view here is a judgment. Verses 11 through 13. And the merchants, so remember it said that 5% of its wealth comes from oil, but everything else comes from commerce, tourism, people visiting, ongoing building. For the merchants of the earth, so it is a tremendous um, um, trading port for the world. And the merchants of the earth will mourn and weep over her. No one buys her merchandise anymore. Merchandise of gold, silver, precious stones, and pearls, and I got that underlined because when it talks about um, um, the wealth in other places, I've never found it associated with pearls. This one is, and that's what it was known for before it became this opulent city. Fine linen and purple silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of the most precious wood, bronze and marble, and cinnamon and incense and fragrant oils and frankincense and wine and oil and fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots. Now notice this part here. And bodies and souls of men. So what Nimrod was known for in the first Babylon as a mighty hunter was actually after the souls of men. This is where we're gonna read before we get done here Pharmakia, it's gonna be mentioned. Pharmakia is sorcery. And so what Nimrod was in, and who we have as an antichrist behind all this, what is he really interested in? 
that is the souls of men. This is, we're in a war right now with China. I don't know if you guys know that or not. But we're in a full-on war with China. And um, a lot of this has to do, the first thing that will go if that, if Biden would ever get in, you can kiss the First and Second Amendment goodbye. And um, what I'm allowed to say from the pulpit um, it will be restricted. Um, I'm not going to stop saying anything that I haven't said before, so jail ministry it is, I guess, you know. <laughs> but when you think about it, look at the men who didn't compromise for the first 300 years. What happened to them? They were martyred. Every disciple was martyred, except for John. The Lord had a job for John. He had to give us this book, the book of Revelation. And so what I want to stop here and talk about the souls of men and what really is at stake here. The lust of the flesh in the world draws the soul away from the Lord, who is supposed to be our first love, to loving the things of this world. And um, I just want to, I've watched video that are so disgusting, I can't be too descriptive to put one up on the screen. But I want to explain that the slave labor that built Dubai, um, basically what they would do is go to places like the Philippines or India or, um, um, oh, these very, very poor cities and they would have front men who would go and promote, you're poor. If you go to Dubai, we can get you a job and we'll pay you this much money. Uh, And then he takes his cut, which is half of what this promoter that's promoting these people to move to Dubai to work. As soon as they get there, they take your passports and they don't give them back. You say, you have to earn them back. You have to make so much money and then we'll give it back to you. But they never get the amount of money that they were promised and so they're stuck in slave cities. I'm just gonna mention one. And the name of the city is Sonafar. Uh, We got this off the internet of a, a journalist and he talks about these slave cities. Nine people to a room. 50 people have access to one toilet. Um, When they come to work, uh, they work six days a week, 12 hour days. And like they said, the heat easily can reach over 100 to 115 on a daily basis. So let me just quote this man's article. The city of Sodapur, ironically the name means city of gold in Hindi is home to more than 150,000 workers, mostly from India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Bangladesh, and China. Uh, 30 years ago, almost all of Dubai was desert, but it has grown rapidly, become one of the main commercial hubs and tour destinations in the world. Uh, This photographer has visited Dubai many times and has watched it grow in size and wealth. The 33-year-old says there is an unspoken understanding that there are three different classes of people in Dubai. The Emirates, those at the very top who are the owners. The expats, um, the average daily worker. And at the bottom, the laborers who actually build the city. 
Farhad explained that several workers had their passports seized at the airport and are forced to work um, 12-hour days in blistering heats for very little pay. That's six days a week. They are taken to Sonofar. Now, this is just one of these slave cities that I'm telling you about, which is not on the map. They're bussed in on a daily basis so they can be better controlled by their employer. He spoke to one laborer called Jehagar from Bangladesh. This 23-year-old worker was a cleaner for the past four years. He makes $215 a month, sends $135 to his family, and he's forced to serve on what little remains. This is just one city. Um, If you have the stomach for it, just all you have to do is Google uh, slum cities that built Dubai, and you'll have footage, and it'll get into more detail. Um, But what I'm more concerned about here is the manipulation. I saw grown men just breaking down and crying because there's nothing they can do to help their families because they can't leave the country. They don't have enough money. They don't have their passport. You don't get your passport back, even if you'd save. Um, very seldom do you, you get that back. I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and I want to give credit where credit is due. This is part of uh, Mary Danielson's two-minute update that I'm going to quote to you, just a paragraph. And it, it, it carries with it the idea of what this can do to you psychologically and mentally when you're put into that kind of condition. And I very much can compare it to what's happening in our own country today where we, we're told uh, we might have to forcibly take this vaccination or you have to wear a mask or you have to um, um, be secluded. And um, what that can do to your, your noodle up here over a period of time. So I'm quoting from Mary right now. She wrote a two-minute update on the psyche of the, of the soul. And she says, I decided to dig a little bit and I found that the word soul here in the Greek word is psyche. The natural internal workings of us, our humanity, our state of mind. So these people not only enslave human bodies but they steal their soul, destroy their stability and state of mind. She's not talking about Dubai. She's referring to the so-called pandemic and what it does to us. I'll go on. Consider how easy it has become to mess with a human psyche through fear and manipulation in the current outbreak. I think we can understand that this even more. I think of these young people who have to wear masks and be fearful around the clock, and I wonder if I were 10 maybe or 15 uh, years old today, how would I look at all this, especially if I didn't know the Lord? There's already untold damage being done to the stability of of humans in the last days through spiritual warfare, fear, and delusion. Another verse, Luke 21, 26, warns that during this coming time, men's hearts will fail them for fear for what is coming on earth at this hour. It's time to take these verses seriously, perilous times indeed. But the context of this is imagine these men have left everything, they have no family, and they get caught up in a system and what it does to them realizing they can't do anything about the family that they they left home 
behind. It's true for um, many right now. One guy at men's prayer was telling us a story about um, a family member being taken to, um, to the hospital um, and taking his uh, wife into the emergency room and um, telling him this is as far as you can go. And he went to park his car and came back and they had taken her in and he, he said no. Well, can I at least have her phone number? No. And so what that does when your loved one is in a state of you don't know if what's gonna happen, imagine what that does to you. You can't have that interaction that, that's going on. All right, let's move on from the souls of men. But a big part of um, what this is a battle over your soul and what you believe and who you believe in, verses 14 through 19. For the fruit that your soul longs for has gone from you. These are referring to those that are living in Dubai or Babylon. And all these things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more. Uh, The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. In one hour, such great riches came to nothing. And every shipmaster who traveled by the sea and sailors and as many as trade on the sea stood at a distance and cried out and when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth, for in one hour she is made desolate. I'm gonna put a couple other things that was not in the video clip up on the screen right now. And... Um, First, what we're told here is destroyed in one hour. I want you to know, I'm gonna put the third largest airport up on screen right now, and it's in Dubai. This is the third largest airport in the world. The next one is the largest, um, what I'm gonna put up is the world's largest mall. That's what it looks like. It has a ski slope inside that mall. And it's, um, I think they said, eight times bigger than Mall of America here up, up uh, in Minnesota. So here's the world's largest mall. Um, it has to be a port city. So this picture that I'm showing next is uh, the port of Dubai. And so it has to be a city that is... Um, a port city, and this is also destroyed, and it's the sailors that we just read here. They're standing at a distance for fear. Why? Well, one or two options as far as I can see. Either it's nuclear and they're afraid of the radiation, or it's divine judgment from God, and I would go with either one of those. But whatever it is, they're afraid to go anywhere near it because of that. It also has the world tallest building in the world. I think somebody tried to 
build another one as high and then make it a foot bigger so they could say they were the biggest one. But um, um, again, the one of maybe one of seven star hotel uh, in the world. And like they said earlier, you can stay in the Royal Suite and it only costs you $24,000 a night to stay there. Anybody want to stay there for a week? Or <laughs> and it's all gone. Okay, it's all gone in one hour. And it's destroyed in the same way that Rome is destroyed. Now, where Paul was reading as our text, we sort of switch gears. And um, now that it's all gone, we read, Rejoice over her, O heavens, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you of her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence that great city, Babylon, shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. The sound of the harpists, musicians, flutists, trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of the millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. And the light of the lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants, the great men of the earth, notice, for by your sorcery, the word there is pharmakia, which goes back to the original sorcery. Um, By the way, we're having a special update a week from today, and the subject, Mary's going to do an update, and it's just going to be on this word here, sorcery. So that'll be next week. All the nations were deceived. So this is a world opulent city that's involved with it and um, the deception, this word pharmakia here, sorcery, that's where pharmacy comes from and I believe it has to do with drugs but on on a level that is intertwined with um, um, demonic possession. And in her was found the blood of the prophets and the saints and all who were slain upon the earth. Um, The blood of the saints and the prophets. Let's go back to chapter 16 and I want to just look at verses four through seven of Revelation. And in chapter 16, verse four, the third angel poured out his bowl in the river and springs of water and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water saying, You are righteous, O Lord, the one who is and who was and who is to be, because you have judged these things, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. And I heard another angel from the altar saying, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are your judgments." So as we finish Revelation chapter 18, it closes with um, the the Lord um, giving them their just due. This is called the first death. When we get to Revelation 20, they will be involved in what's called the second death. I do not want to leave you on that heavy of a note so with that being said, let's turn as we close this morning to Second Peter. 
chapter 3, we know these things ahead of time. And because they know these things ahead of time and that they have to come to pass, some people are floating the idea that this vaccine is the mark of the beast. Let me set the record straight. It's impossible. can't be. The mark of the beast of the book of Revelation is only implemented after the Antichrist is killed and comes back to life. Only then. So what's happening right now, don't let anybody tell you, oh, you're taking the mark of the beast. Having said that, half, I've heard reports anywhere from 30 to 50% of the nurses in America refuse to take this vaccine. And they're not doing it. They said, we're not gonna be a guinea pig for this. And um, I'm not equipped enough in the medical field to make any other statement that's saying, I'm not taking it. And, um, but in Second Peter uh, chapter 3, let's look at verse 11. Second um, Peter 3, 11 through 18. I always double check my notes to make sure. Second Peter chapter 3. Here we go. Verse 11. Therefore, therefore in light of everything we've studied this morning, let me leave you on this note. Therefore, since all these things will be be dissolved. What did Jesus say? Heaven and earth are going to pass away. But not my word. And not his kingdom. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And when his kingdom is established, it's an everlasting kingdom. And one of his promises for you and I, are we are going to rule and reign with him. So that's the hope that we have. And so the therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness in contrast to worldliness? Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Now when, whenever it says looking for, I want to know, well, what do you mean? What should we be looking for? Well, how about in 70 years, the probable rebuilding of the Babylon that's spoken about in Zechariah? being in chapter 18, and I'm going, well, let's see, is there an opulent city in the world where the world's economy would be, uh, the signature is that it has the tallest building in the world, just like the first Babylon. I'm going, oh yeah, and it's happened in my lifetime. So looking for, do I see that? Yeah. What does it say when you see these things begin to happen? Look up, my friends. The Lord is coming. That's our hope. I think it could probably get worse for the church before it gets better. No, we're not going through the tribulation. But um, depending how this plays out this month, our world's going to either give us a little reprieve and a little extra time, or we're gonna, our nation's going to change radically very quickly. All right, let's finish it up. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be destroyed, being on fire, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, I love it, nevertheless, we according to his promise look for a new heavens and a new earth in which dwells righteousness. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. 
Uh, I'm just curious. How many of you got saved within the last 10 years? Raise your hand. Got saved in the last 10 years. Aren't you glad that the Lord is long-suffering and patient? <laughs> and I don't think he's going he's gonna to pull the trigger until he'll, he has to. Why? Because he's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And my friends, either here or watching online, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, realize that he's got this all under control, but know that unless you have him in your life, you're not going with us at the rapture. You will be left behind, and you will enter this terrible period of time. And if that makes you afraid and you're not saved, good. I'd, I'd rather have you be afraid and go through some hard times and get saved than have it smooth sailing for you and uh, not be saved. And accounting that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you also in his epistles, speaking of them, of, of these things, and which are some things hard to understand, uh, which those who are untaught and unstable uh, twist to their own destruction as they do the rest of the scriptures. The Lord said, look out, there's gonna be false prophets. Uh, they're gonna bring in other gospels and uh, make it, um, instead of telling it like it is, their goal is just to make you have a good motivational message in the morning so that you can bounce out the door and be happy clappy for the rest of the day. My Bible doesn't teach that. Some of these things are hard to take in. Therefore, beloved, since you know these things beforehand, lest you also fall away from your steadfastness being led away with the air of the wicked, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forevermore and all God's people said. Let's stand up and pray. Lord, as we make our way through these last couple chapters in Revelation, uh, we thank you that you have given us these things ahead of time. We're so grateful for the solid rock that your word gives to us, knowing you are dwelling in us uh, does give us peace of mind. But help us redeem the time, Lord, and use this as an opportunity to uh, share with our loved ones. And so as we go our way today, we pray that the Holy Spirit would implant these words uh, into every person's heart. And if anybody here or watching live stream is starting to see the big picture and that your word can, is the only thing that can foretell something before it happens, uh, that they would consider and reconsider that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and no man can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ. And if they have struggled with that, uh, Lord, I pray that you'd do us ever necessary to bring our loved ones and those not saved into your kingdom because we know you are not willing that any would perish. In Jesus' name, amen.